It just makes me mad. Oh, we got there and Palps has given him his speech. He planned it all exactly the way it was going to happen and set all of the dominoes in motion. And that drives me nuts, but it's so good. Krypton to Aldron. I'm Joey, your Star Wars lover, and with me is Royish Good Looks. Hello, podcast. Hello, Joey. Hello, and we're the podcast that analyzes nerdy pop culture stuff, but it is mostly Star Wars. And on this episode, we'll be discussing The Bad Batch, Season 2, Episodes 7 and 8, The Clone Conspiracy, and Truth and Consequences. But first, classic. I wanted to shout out and thank the folks over at Rebel Base Card Podcast. They've spent some airtime recently talking about and recommending our show. So thank you to them. And uh, listeners, if you haven't already, check out their show. They do stuff like episode reviews, like Bad Batch episode reviews, but they also talk about Star Wars collectibles, traded cards, Comic-Cons, all that stuff that we also all love. So go check them out, the Rebel Base Card Podcast. and. If you'd also like to hit us up, you can find us on any social media platform by searching Krypton to Alderaan. All right, Royce, usually here I do what in the business we like to call an icebreaker, where I ask you how you're doing, but you're doing good, and I'm doing good, and we just watched The Bad Batch. It's a two-part episode. We have to talk about it in the time that can fit into this podcast. So let's just get into the let's just get into the bad batch. We don't have time to talk about how we are today. We've got to get <laughs> yeah, right just, into it. <laughs> we can't possibly dedicate any time to it, even <laughs> though we already did and it was shit, so we had to cut it. You're welcome, listeners. All right, here we go. <laughs> Take three. So let's get into the Bad Batch season two, episode seven and eight, the clone conspiracy and truth and consequences. Here is my synopsis. Ready? Buckle up. A conspiracy. In the aftermath of the destruction of Topoka City, Admiral Rampart has convinced the galaxy that a natural disaster is to blame. However, the clones under his command are starting to question their allegiance and threatening to reveal the truth. Meanwhile, on Coruscant, the Galactic Senate debates new legislation that would replace the clones as the army of the Empire, leading some senators to question what the future holds for the former Grand Army of the Republic. Searching for answers, a young Pantoran senator uncovers a deadly plot to suppress the truth, putting herself and her clone informant in danger. Clone Force 99 is enlisted to search for proof of this deception, but in order to do so, they must make their way to the heart of the Empire. Revealing this truth to the Senate may come with consequences only foreseen by those in the shadows. Ooh. Put that on the DVD poster. <laughs> DVD poster. You're going to need some more room for that one. We just need a button. So, Royce. I know we briefly discussed this before the show started, but I'm going to bring it up anyway, even though you didn't, you said you didn't have anything to say about it. I think <laughs> this episode starts pretty Star Warsy. We pan to a shot of Coruscant, like that's the first thing we see in the episode. And I just loved seeing, I mean, there's obviously just something so Star Warsy about that. Whenever Coruscant is shown on the screen, I think it's just a great hook. 
It's just a really amazing design, especially from like space. It's one of the more iconic visuals, obviously prequel era. When you see it, you know it's Coruscant. Yeah, the funny thing is, is like, yeah, I didn't catch that on the first episode. Definitely on the second episode. I don't know, like I was probably still like sipping my coffee as like the title credits were rolling through, you know? Well, something to return to and check out. But there is so much that happens in these two episodes and it's it's all like, it, they're very political episodes. I think it's very heavy. There's a lot of information to get through. But filtering this through kind of the themes that we've been talking about for this season, right off the bat, we dive into this more clone-heavy story and clone rights and clone representation from the Senate and stuff like that. So what did you think of the way this episode handled that theme? Yeah, I think the tone is fitting for the what's been set up so far and like very Andor-esque, I thought. Like had the balance between the political stuff and the action stuff at least when you combine these two episodes together, you know, them going on to the Venator, but also talking in the Senate. It had that sort of one-two punch of the politics, but still the adventure action aspect of it. These were the episodes I think a lot of people were probably looking forward to where things are coming to a head. And I was kind of surprised. Like when you read the titles, you kind of get an idea for what they might be about. But we've been talking like, what is going to be that two-part mid-season episode arc about and we've thrown out like Sid and the Bad Batch with with that. I'm so glad it wasn't more offshoot stories or like them worrying about working for Sid or with Wanda Sykes or uh, Fee. That's her character, right? Yeah. Cool if we can explore those characters, but this was a great mid-season like meat and potatoes of the overarching story. I loved it. Nice. Yeah, I do think this creates a point to build off of for the rest of the season. Like I didn't fully expect what we got I guess we have talked about like maybe the the mid-season stuff being their departure from Sid and that kind of thing. But it definitely feels like with everything I think else we're going to talk about, the events we've picked up on in these two episodes, that this is kind of like a, a building point for the rest of the season and maybe overall for these characters. Like the phrase mid-season finale or something with that gravity like maybe justifies the importance of these two episodes, I think, going forward. Have you ever considered how the Senate views the clones? Like, I've watched all the Clone Wars, and you haven't. And I've, so I've, like, gotten to know the clones a lot and sort of the nuance in their relationships between other people or politicians and stuff like that. We obviously get to see that in these episodes. Have you ever, like, thought about how the clones fit into the rest of the people in the galaxy? Yeah, I feel like that's how this whole season is birthed, is like someone asks that question. What's the deal with the clones? I think that's the cool thing about these animated shows is that's just an odd plot point, you know, a loose end that you could just pretend they phased them out and then the stormtroopers came in. But this is like the, you know, for lack of better term, the origin story, that transitional story that you get in the TV shows. Yeah, and I think in a very interesting way, just seeing the Senate represented in this show and the politics of these two episodes, I, I think it was a super interesting story told in this way from like these points of views. You know, again, it's something that we talked about, like the future of the clones, how are they phased out? But yeah, never giving any thought to like their representation in the Senate. You know, we're seeing Senator Chuchi is the only one who stands up for the clones, the only one to think, like even have the idea of providing them with some kind of future 
after all this time, like after the war, none of this was set up. And she's like fighting for pensions and like veterans rights, essentially. And to see some of the clones not even want that, to see some of the clones wanting to fight to stay a soldier for the Empire. Chuchi goes to the bar and that clone pushes back about like wanting to stay a soldier. And, and Chuchi says, eventually your service will come to an end. You get to choose your future. The other clones say something like, we weren't programmed to think about that. You know, when she asks them about the future. Yeah, we aren't trained to think about life after war. Something to that effect. Yeah, yeah. That's all they've been trained. That's what they were created to do. It's all they do. They'd rather fight than retire. Yeah. So it's it's just so interesting to see the different perspectives even within the clones themselves, which is, I guess, what all of these these two episodes are really, again, progressing the ideas that we've had about good soldiers follow orders, question mark. We're seeing the consequences of following those, following Rampart's orders, and some of the clones are starting to question it. So again, it's like that ambiguous inhibitor chip. It's not just an on-off switch, but what does it really do kind of thing, you know, because now they're regretting following the orders that they followed. But something else I picked up on that made me kind of mad at Bail Organa, but just like revealed how the Senate, how the politicians think about the clones. At some point, Bail says, shifting to a military of citizens swearing loyally fundamentally goes against the principles of this body. Implying that the clones are not citizens of the galaxy, which like might, I guess might be legally true. I'm not really sure if they ever talk about how that works. But also just that language is very, the clones are just military assets, even to someone like Bail Organa, as Chuchi kind of says later in the episode. Some people only view them as military assets. So, yeah. I thought that Bail was trying to play everything a little bit coy. Chuchi is very outspoken. And like when she discovers that this is an issue, she's very vocal and she's leading the charge. You know, especially in when they they actually get the information from the venerator and they're going to provide the proof in the Senate, they give it to Bale first. And I was like, oh, is Bale going to deliver the proof? But she hands it off to Chuchi. Like he's sort of still playing his cards close to his chest. You know, and he's obviously important to the rest of the story. He shows up later in the timeline. I don't know if Chuchi does or not, but like she's yeah. very loud and Bale is playing it a little safer is what I took away from that. Yeah. He definitely is, and it's definitely seems to be like, because we know that he kind of makes it, he survives to the next thing. It was just interesting to hear that that language come from him. The language implying that the clones are not, in fact, citizens, and they're not represented anywhere in the Senate, and then that's how the Senate talks about them. It was just kind of like, ugh, gross. Just kind of gross, I think. I agree. And then, of course, Omega comes in, and she's like, Clones are part of the galaxy. Are we represented? Right. And I think that that will, I think we'll talk about this a little bit later because there's other points to fit in there, but that definitely fits in with the theme of Omega's naivete, Omega's Omega as the conscience of the group, always trying to do the right thing, but the potential for her to lose that or to lose hope. She's doing all these things. She's fighting for these people. She's fighting for people like Sid, who might betray her. For what? Because clones aren't even represented in the politics of the galaxy. So who knows? This is moving ahead quite a bit, but I think this is one we need to talk about. What about this clone assassin 
Did you think it was Crosshair when this guy first showed up? I was going to ask you the same damn thing. <laughs> yeah, like, and like his uniform's a little bit different. They weren't playing the theme song. So I was like, why would they, why would they hide the true identity of the assassin? You only saw through his like sniper rifle scope at first. Then you saw he had a different uniform. It wasn't Crosshair's typical Bad Batch uniform. And they didn't do the whatever his like synthesizer mm. theme is. So it wasn't being clued in that it was Crosshair. Then you're like, who is it? IG-88? Like, you don't know who it's going to be. If it's a bounty hunter, if it's a clone or whatever. Yeah, and then he's just a nobody. Kind of an, a weird choice. You would think Crosshair would... You already have a character that's hunting loose ends mm. and knows too much. And like, that was part of Rampart's thing. Is he's like, you got to forget about the Bad Batch or whatever. You know, that you would think that maybe there's something more there. Yeah, I don't know. There's some mystery there. I thought it was going to be Crosshair at first. That's where I was yeah. going. What about you? Did you think that? I thought it was Crosshair when they were first getting shot at. Oh, it was kind of a weird thing because I was like, I think Crosshair's a better shot than this. They're really mm. playing this up where Slip is able to like get away by riding that speeder bike off the roof. He shoots back at him and the sniper flinches. And like they've yeah, already yeah. shown that Crosshair doesn't flinch. Yeah, 100%. So yeah. But I was super curious. And then we find out that he's a clone and, you know, Rex takes his helmet off and Rex says that he's not a trooper and that like his identification has been scrubbed. And, and in fact, Tech says, I'm not aware that that was possible later on when they're when the Bad Batch shows up, which I don't know, might play into like the Bad Batch's future. Maybe Tech can like erase their mm. numbers or whatever. But anyway, super intriguing character, I think, and maybe intriguing as to what's going on. Did you find that interesting? Did you did you like think about where this guy came from or that like it, it might have something to do with Lama Sue and what's going on in that mountain and maybe future cloning activities? Well, the thing that intrigued me is like, why is he so passionate about the Empire? Like, obviously, if he's programmed to think that way, then it's not really a choice. But it reminded me of that Mandalorian guy, the man in black guy that was driving the ship full of guns in the Mandalorian who does the same thing. He bites down on his tooth and it like blows up or whatever. Why are these people so devoted to the empire? That's the thing that intrigued me the most. Like you're willing to die self-inflicted death for the empire. You yeah. didn't want to be captured. You didn't want to, you know, go out swinging. You're taking your own life. I think that is a very powerful plot point that they've put in both of those shows. And also like really, really heavy. To watch yeah. in general. Very heavy to watch that particular scene unfold. Yeah. So I don't I don't get that because I would there's not many things I would react the same way. Protecting a family member, a loved one, a friend, like, you know, I suppose maybe stranger, but not a tyrannical government, you know? Yeah, well, we've already seen some clo some of the clones in the beginning of this episode that are more willing to continue to be a soldier for the Empire than than not. Mm. So building off of that, I mean, this guy, the assassin, seems a little bit more brainwashed, maybe, or programmed. He calls himself, he refers to himself as a believer right before he bites down on that thing. So there's a lot of, like, brainwashy atmosphere going on there. Do you think that this could be the beginning of something like the Dark Trooper program or the Death Trooper program. So with the Dark Troopers that show up in The Mandalorian, Dr. Pershing says this is the third generation or like he calls them a third generation and that they used to be suits. 
he says that the human component or like the organic component was the weak point. So they made them droids. So I'm wondering if this is the beginning of that. Yeah, this is all really heavy stuff. I don't even really want to think about it because the, de- the death trooper thing is they've like removed part of their brain or something, right? There's there's a lot of other like macabre stuff going on with that. Yeah, replacing parts of them with droid parts, creating cyborgs basically. But I don't know the legend stuff about the dark troopers, but I think they were clones at first and, and then, you know, eventually were droids. And I'm wondering if this could be a connection to the Mandalorian. You know, I'm hoping that this is something we dive more into as this season goes on. I thought it was a really interesting character, and I hope that we get to see where he came from. So right off the bat in Truth and Consequences, which is the name of the second episode, the Bad Batch gets called into this fight by Rex. And something that you've talked a bit this season about is Hunter and maybe other people, other members of the group stepping into a leadership role or developing their leadership skills, maybe. What did you think of Echo taking charge of this mission? Like he just tells Rex they're on their way and then Hunter just kind of looks at him. Yeah, it was kind of like last week when they're like, do we want to go on this mission? It might be a little dangerous. Oh, well, let's do it anyway. And (laughs) I I think partially that just has to happen for the story. So they have to acknowledge like, well, they wouldn't want to go to Coruscant, but they find a way out of it that they're like, well, they probably wouldn't be looking for us there. And they also think we're dead. So it was like, we handle that with a, with two lines of dialogue. So yeah, yeah. I didn't really think much about it, but I, it's interesting that it was Echo that had mentioned that and not somebody else. Yeah. Echo has been trying so hard to get them to work with, Rex instead of Sid this whole time. And when he finally like has the chance, he just grabs it as quickly as he can. Even after kind of just telling Omega, this is the only place I fit in. This is where I was needed. Which we'll see later, like he puts his needs on the backseat for other people's needs a little bit. Not in a negative way, but he tells Omega, this is where I fit in. This is where I was needed. So, but later, it doesn't necessarily matter that he doesn't fit in with Rex. He's still needed with Rex, so he goes with Rex. I thought that was a little bit more interesting. But yeah, Echo finally, like, able to take charge of that situation, I thought was interesting. And maybe a little foreboding, I thought something bad was going to happen to Echo. And it kind of does. Were you sad when we see him leave? I was I was very sad is like goodbye with Omega. Yeah. So the episode ends and then you're like, oh, he's not going with them. And it's like, wow, it's happening. They're breaking the Bad Batch up. And I think that was sad because at the beginning of the episode, wasn't Omega doing her meditation and Echo yeah. walks up. So a nice little bookend there of, you know, Omega was like, hey, do you want to try and meditate with me? And he's like, no, I can't can't do that thing. I can't be alone with my thoughts. Interesting setting that up at the very beginning. Omega trying to connect with Echo, and then at the end, breaking away. So like, I yeah. love I love that uh, full circle <laughs> moment there. And I'm all for it, dude. Again, Seth Cohen, Ryan, whatever his last name is, <laughs> they, they break up at the end of the season. Like, it's just part of good storytelling. You know, they've been together. You have to mix it up a little bit. And he's going, you had already mentioned this. Is he going to go off with Rex? Boom. Yeah. There you go. And now we've got a whole other set of adventures that we can go on. No, I wasn't like sad by it because it just it seems that's the way they're going. So I'm at peace with it. Ah, well, that's nice. I was pretty sad. But yes, <laughs> we did. We did kind of predict that it would happen, but it was it was still sad to see. Speaking of Omega, 
I feel like Omega has grown so much just in the few episodes of this season. And we've, you and I have talked about like Omega growing and I hope she's still like maintains her conscience and the urge to do good above anything else. And we see her get to interact with the homeworld of the Empire and the Galactic Senate and like the politics of Star Wars for the first time, really. She didn't even know what Coruscant was. It was another like, I didn't know there was so much green in the whole galaxy. You know, uh, Omega's never really seen a city before that wasn't maybe standing on top of water. So this was all very cool to see. I wonder, what did you think of seeing Omega like shadowing Senator Chuchi and seeing the Senate and stuff? Yeah, that almost seemed like a moment of like, you know, maybe she's going to become a senator one day, yeah. you know? I don't know if that's something they're trying to set up, but she clearly was passionate about the representation. I thought that was very interesting that she was sh another episode of her shadowing another adult figure from a totally different world and starting to, you know, catalog new stuff. Like you said, her power is learning new things and, and absorbing. Right, right. You know, she's like a rogue. She's bringing in everybody else's energy. Dude, you called it on a previous episode of ours. At one point, she literally admits, she says, I'm angry about Camino," And I thought that was also interesting. Like, oh, she's like actually harboring very deep yeah. resentment about what happened, which has maybe not really been fully addressed. You know, I don't remember when they blew up Camino, what her direct reaction was, other than that season ends, season one. Yeah. And, and they're just kind of like, whoa, that happened. But I don't remember her like, you know, crying or yelling or whatever. It was just kind of like, well, we made it out alive. That was crazy. But she says, I'm angry about it here, which is like yeah. a planting a flag. Yep. And then she has to see it play out all again on that hollow. And then when that is playing, Palpatine platform starts rising up and it cuts to Omega like mm. for a little bit before it switches back to Palpatine. So yeah, just like her having to relive that. There was a moment in the season one finale, I think when they get out and they're on the platform and it's like, sunny on Camino, I think, for the first time ever. But anyway, she's like upset. And maybe she even says like, this was my home or something like that. So it was a very sad moment. But yeah, maybe not having dealt with the trauma of all of that. And she gets very mad with Haley Bertoni, who's the Kaminoan senator, because Bertoni is saying that she doesn't care about the Kaminoans that are left. They're not her concern. And she doesn't care about what happened to Camino. So yeah, Omega harboring some resentments. And yeah, shadowing the senator, shadowing another person, learning more, absorbing more. It's interesting you say the thing about her becoming a senator. I think that that would be an awesome way for her character to evolve. And she's like actually out there existing in the galaxy, which whether it's in the Star Wars universe or in our own world, politicians maybe don't really do all that much of, you know, they're, they're not necessarily like the every person. So she's out there, she's living with clones, she's meeting Jedi, she's meeting treasure hunters, she's living on... Or like, she's out there understanding people and what their lives are like and learning how, learning how to live those lives, which is, could be an amazing thing to bring to a political position while also like being maybe the first to represent your people. I would love that. I hope that's where the, her character goes or that uh, it's a good fan fiction out there somewhere. I'd read Should it. we just start writing fan fiction? I kind of already do that. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Go check out Royish Good Looks on YouTube. He sings, his, he sings fiction. Musical fan fiction. What did you think of Palpatine's appearance? Uh, 
Dude, it's really interesting that they were playing the footage and like he storms in, everybody stop, you know, like the dad taking control of like the the family at dinner or something, you know. It definitely was an iconic moment when he's coming, you know, he's coming up out of the center of the Senate there. Really interesting that they already alluded to like, where is Palpatine? You know, mm -hmm. and the whole time he's like, I'm going to let them like duke this out and I'll I'll show up at a moment when I can swing in and like save the day and, you know, bend the truth to my will or whatever. Hunter says it's interesting like it's frustrating that he shows up and then they they arrest Rampart and Palpatine is sets up his whole thing but it's all very Palpatine you know yeah. it's kind of frustrating to watch as a viewer where you're like hmm, I wonder if they're gonna make progress with this clone thing they just presented this evidence they're gonna take down Rampart and if you weren't thinking a couple steps ahead like Palpatine does you're like, oh, this is going to be a great ending and Omega's going to become a senator and she'll represent like, <laughs> you know, the refugees of Camino and the clones or whatever. And it doesn't go that way, you know? And I think that's part of the point. And Omega sees that as well. Like we're, we're kind of seeing it happen through Omega's eyes, you know? You're kind of hopeful and then Palpatine shuts it down. He's a master manipulator, you know? Everything's going exactly as he has foreseen. So perfect use of Palpatine, like not a fan servicey use. Although I don't see why people like again, why do people believe in him when he comes out and and says the they're safe and secure society with our new military? Like you sound crazy. I don't know why anybody supports that, but it works. I mean, that's what we do in this country. <laughs> All we do is like fund the military to like quote unquote protect ourselves. So it's very much like the same and. This is the part where I'm getting a little bit more heated because, yes, as you're... It's frustrating. Like, <laughs> I think that's the best word to describe this. Like, the idea that Palpatine always knows. And then when you get to the end as the viewer and, like, the person that he's manipulating, you get to the end and you realize that all of the pieces of the puzzle fit together and then you can, like, retroactively see the plan. And it just drives me... It just makes me mad. It's like, <laughs> it's probably like the best part of storytelling mm. that can like animate yeah. me that way and make me mad. But it's like, oh, we got there and Palps is giving him a speech and it's just like, oh, he planned, he had Rampart do that so that this would happen and then Rampart would say this and then he planned it all exactly the way it was going to happen and set all of the dominoes in motion and that drives me nuts, but it's so... Good. So when you think about it, that contained plot of like blowing up Camino, leaking the information and then taking down Rampart so he can build another new military, which was kind of like his, his plot to begin with from like Attack of the Clones, like yeah. devise a war so I can build an <laughs> army and take over. It's like, yeah, you already yeah. did this. He's like even better at it now. But that was like almost a small <laughs> contained thing. He already orchestrated a fucking galactic war you know yeah. so that's nothing really in the grand scheme of things for palpatine to like throw one guy under the bus oh my god it's such good i think it's such good storytelling but it drives me nuts when the batch infiltrates the ship it goes from a covert mission to a not covert mission at that moment i thought palpatine or the senate is going to use this to push this bill through they've been talking about insurgents the past two episodes and you can't trust the clones, and the insurgents have gotten so bold that they attacked Coruscant. We need an army to protect us now, and the clones didn't protect us. I thought for sure that they were going to use the infiltration of that ship to pass this bill through. It's not exactly what ended up happening, but it's still like the same result. 
I really thought that that's where the episode was going to go, which was kind of maddening. So you just want like the Bad Batch to stop trying to do good. And then that leads into another, you know, going back to this Omega theme of her wanting to do good. She believes that they did the right thing and is confused. It's like she's the opposite of Palpatine. Like, honestly, it's the exact opposite, which maybe is what drives me so crazy. Seeing him in this show, I like you said, I was a fan who felt thoroughly serviced by this appearance <laughs> of Palpatine. But to like to mirror that with Omega, who is this pure presence and is confused about what went wrong, and she says, I don't understand. We did the right thing. We told the truth. Like, that is all she is. That's who she is. And she can't understand that, like, by doing that, it would end badly. But it ended more bad than it would have if they just stayed away. But how is this going to impact her view of people and the galaxy and her desire to do right? You know, like, this is a pretty big... We've we've played around with this idea a little bit here. Like, Sid's not a good influence. Fee might not be a good influence. But this is like an in-your-face, we did the right thing, but a very, very bad thing happened because of it. Like, physical. It's there in front of you. How does this impact her going forward? I, I feel you. I think, like, I'll throw it out there, you know? She could live long enough to see herself become the villain. You know, she says she's angry, <laughs> you know? Hate yeah. leads to the dark side, my friend, you know? So yeah. that might be. And then she loses a brother on top of it, you know? She's dealing with all of this stuff and confusion and then Echo's just gone. There's so much. Looking back, a very traumatic episode for Omega. Reliving the destruction of her home and then everything else. Very sad. I hope she's okay. Omega, if you're listening, <laughs> hang in there. Hey, all the Omegas out there in the world listening to this podcast, just stay good and kind. Don't let the Palpatines get you down. Do you have a favorite moment? Anything like, do you have a thing that you really loved in these two episodes that stood out to you? Yes. My favorite moment is from Wrecker. He says, <laughs> I'm tired of waiting for Sid right before they go on yeah, their yeah. mission. And when he said that, I was like, you know what? I'm tired of it too. I think that Sid and Fee yeah, yeah. are like, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to say I don't like that plot line, but like, yeah, I'd like to move away from that. The episodes have been great this season. I'm not harping on the episodes. But like, there's bigger fish to fry in the galaxy. And I love that they were like, yeah, let's go on this mission. Like, we don't need to wait for Sid. Sid's sending him out to like pick up drugs. And, and no, no, we, yeah. let's move on. I don't know if that was an intentional sort of line of dialogue or if it was just a funny one-off from Wrecker. But I like that. Like, who cares about Sid? Mm. Let's move on and go do something better with our time. Yeah, I, I felt exactly the same way when he said that. He was like, I'm tired of waiting for Sid. And like, yeah, like, so we're, so we're all of us. It's hilarious that it's like waiting for Sid. It's either Sid has something for you to do or you're sitting around doing nothing, sleeping on your ship. Like, it's so comical to think that if Sid doesn't have like a quote unquote mission for them, they're just like bored and sitting around. Like you said last week, you have a spaceship. <laughs> go do, go places, do things, see stuff. Yeah. Go, I don't know, like... Why are you just sitting there? Like when the episode opens up, Wrecker's asleep in a chair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, it starts with like lullaby music or something like that. They're here, all taking naps. Yeah. It's great. Like, go do something. Anyway, yeah, very funny. What about you? What's your favorite moment? You know, I love 
this kind of Star Wars politics and I love the clones. So I was really happy to see them like starting the conversation of the future of the clones. So that part in the first episode, even though there was no Clone Force 99, that part really like got me, stood out to me. It felt very like Clone Warsy. But probably my favorite part is like Omega following Chuchi around the Senate building. Senator Chuchi uh, explaining the Senate to Omega and how it works and that whole like discovery that there's no clone representation and stuff like that. A very interesting way to dive into the politics of this uh, of this story of the galaxy. Plus, cool shots of Coruscant. All right, one last thing. My not so surprising question this episode is: Where's Crosshair? Where is he? Thoughts, comments, concerns. I'm gonna use the word frustrating again because they had like a sniper. <laughs> character <laughs> and he's the yep. sniper in the bad batch so that would have made sense like continue to paint him as the villain in the middle you know and they find out crosshair is killing clones to hide up the conspiracy that would be a great plot line but he wasn't there he didn't show up anywhere he wasn't even like oh i heard the bad batch were like on coruscant and he's like oh i'm gonna watch them from afar and keep tabs on him like he wasn't there at all yeah. but he you would think he would be so what's the deal? You know, why why are we hiding that? They're intentionally putting characters in and taking characters out. I don't know what he could be doing. I'm totally confused. I'm like at a loss for words. What do you think? You have any leads? Yeah, a couple of things. Uh, you know, a couple of episodes we saw Rampart confronting Crosshair and saying, it's interesting that clones around you keep deserting. You mm -hmm. know, so there might be a lack of trust there, which is why Rampart would go with someone else for a particular mission like this or something. Another thing is that, yes, this uh, clone assassin was a sniper. Uh, and it is very bizarre to not see Crosshair when something like that comes up. So I'm wondering if, like, I don't think that not having Crosshair in this episode where this assassin is introduced is an accident. I think that either Crosshair is being forced to be part of whatever is going on here with making this assassin, if it is like a dark trooper, death trooper thing, I think Crosshair is like part of it somehow, whether he's being forced to become one or whether he's training, whether he's training them or training this new batch of clones that's going to be them. I don't know, but I don't think it's a mistake that he wasn't there. Mm. So I'm wondering if we'll see Crosshair in like one of these assassin roles and like the batch will either have to like break him out of it or something like that, you know, and save him in some way. But yeah, super bizarre not having him there. I think we will see why. All right, listeners, where the hell is Crosshair? You let us know wherever you social media or wherever you podcast. Leave us a review. Leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Tweet at us wherever you are. We are there, too. And let's keep the conversation going. And of course, come back next week for more coverage on season two of The Bad Batch. Thanks for listening to the end of the show. I've been Royce. I've been Cade. And we've been Krypton, Krypton to Coruscant. Alderaan.